0: And, uh, welcome back, everybody. My name is Brian. And I'm Will. And I'm Octavio. And today we're going to be talking about the Dietlov Pass Incident. Dietlov? Dietlov?
1: Dietlov. Oh, there it is. Dietlov
0: Pass Incident. All right, so uh, let's get right into it and join us in these bloodthirsty times. Comrades. Oh.
2: on a small scale what governments do on a large one they are a product of the times and these are bloodthirsty times man what a week huh <sighs> america's frozen i am so glad i live in california <laughs> uh, we, dude,
1: the, we got down to uh, 22 degrees here with, like, a wind till of, like, nine. And the thing is, like, it's humid all the time, so it's just cold, wet suckiness. Cold, mm, wet.
2: Yeah. But Texas, but at least yeah. It's, yeah, at least it's not frozen. Yeah, at least it's not completely frozen. But, uh, yeah, this case
1: right? pretty, we, we did this at a pretty damn good time, considering, uh, mm-hmm. you know, National Geographic just came up with their own version of what happened, kind of, like, definitively. And, uh, America's frozen, so this has a lot to do with what we're doing. And fucking eight more hikers went missing. This, or, like, in the past two weeks. What? Yeah, I guess 62 uh... years later. This is still a thing? Dude, people do it all the time, I guess. Like, pilgrimage up there, like, there are eight hikers from Moscow, and they... Literally just like, or oh, we're going to go pay our respects and, you know, take the pass Ooh. that they took. And they never came back. Like, it's been yeah, like, they were no, supposed to come back on good. February 10th. And it's, we're recording this on, what, the 19th? The 21st. 25. 21st? Like, they haven't come back. And it, it's just like, people do not learn, man. <laughs> they are <they're> dead. <laughs> 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 is that it? They, they are dead. Yeah, that's all I got to say about that. Pretty much, uh, they're they're that's with, you they're know, dead. they
0: go up there, they're dead.
1: Yeah, but like it's just, it's no wonder. Like the Manzi translation of this mountain is literally like dead mountain. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And it's just like, why? (laughs) Seriously, first of all, it's cold. Like I like cold, but not like negative 40 degrees cold. And uh, I I understand.
2: It's the same idiots that go up to the Himalayas and stuff and want to climb. Yeah, I suppose. Like I understand. For funsies. (laughs) Yeah, for funsies. But okay,
1: those places, but like when. Like there's been other occasions. There's like this mysterious, like don't go up there in group of nine type of thing. Like there was a a plane that or a helicopter or some kind of aircraft that went down above the pass and it had mm-hmm. nine passengers on it, and they don't understand why it went down. It just went down, and then like this group of eight, kind of close to nine, so it's kind of not, but you know, close. But like the first nine group, was it like the first nine one, group. meter Triangle of like Yeah, it is but that's the thing like other places like the himalayas like you're saying yeah people go up there they have guides and stuff but these people just go up there to a place where people have fucking disappeared mm-hmm. and they're like yeah that sounds like a great idea like yeah it does i know hiking <laughs> and stuff and is, is a well, is of... good pastime for people I, I get it i'm not talking shit on them i'm just like i i
2: it's called dead mountain guys like mm-hmm. uh, just <clears throat> i have a saying and that is Predictable is preventable. Do you nice. have sense? <laughs> I get that tattooed on my card. Right. Did, right did you get that? Hold on. Did you get that? Yeah, hold on. Yeah. Say Predictable it again. is preventable.
1: I guess. But nice. also...
2: I also fucking get <laughs> okay. people. Alright, let's, if, let's, all let's like, break like, down. Let's yeah, break hold, down yeah. your thing. You, 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 you get, have
1: the same routine every day. There could be a guy watching, like, okay, at 7 10, this guy takes his shit on my lawn.
2: Um, and then <laughs> on I, my <laughs> lawn. Yeah. Guess well, what else would be killing you? You know what? He can prevent it. He could put chili powder on his lawn, and it flames up my buttonhole, my shit cutter. And uh, I'm not having a good day after that. Okay? It's predictable is preventable.
1: But also, he could just be watching you and just know your every move. And they're like, okay, at this time, I'm going to fucking slap him in the face with an axe. Oh,
0: like, man. He's going to bust out the binoculars, and that's uh, his,
2: his happy time right there. It's game over. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right, let's get into the shit. Show. Yeah, all right. So, uh,
1: before we get into the claims <laughs> that National Geographic claims to have um, cl- you know, finished this and this is definitive what happened, we're going to tell you what happened like basically play by play of what we know is factual that the Russian government will let us know. So, just keep that in mind.
2: Cool. Uh, so, so, this is all just information that we Right. We, this, we get <clears throat> from they wrote, they the kept risk- like
1: meticulous diaries and um just like pictures that they took from the incident or mm-hmm. from the, the trip up there really and what we know as fact and then once we get to the end you can decide for yourself which of the theories you want to
0: be part Believe. of which you're going to subscribe to you're going to slap mm-hmm. that like button you're going yeah. to uh
2: smash it smash it yeah <laughs>
0: all righty all then right. so let's the uh yeah let's just uh start talking about it so obviously this uh you know this case is going to be a little bit different than some of the ones that we've talked about in the past um so we're going to be switching it up you know instead of, we're not going to be talking about serial killers or like brutal murders or spree killings
2: well there are um, brutal good. murders
1: it could be all right yeah. possible brutal murders
0: right but i mean like as far as we know like it's oh, still yeah. kind yeah. of like you know up in the air so today we are going to talk about Mysterious circumstances. So, this is mysterious <laughs> circumstances. Um, so, this incident again is different than some of the others that we've talked about so far um, in that the circumstances surrounding uh, the deaths of nine skiers and hikers are not directly attributed to any one person or persons. Um, now, a little background before we kind of begin. It's uh, this is going to be taking place in 1959, so um, a, a little while back, and uh, a group was formed for a skiing expedition uh across the northern Urals in Sverdlovsk Blast, So, Union. Um, some of these are right, yeah, some of I mean, these names are going to be kind of tough to. You oh, know, you don't read. say we re- <laughs> you know, Americans can't a handle Russian, Russian
1: words, really. <laughs> <It's-> <laughs> such a surprise it's a, little bit, uh, <laughs> yeah, a little rough
0: it <laughs> a little rough um so this isn't just russia as we know it today so this was actually the soviet union soviet in, union this is soviet union in
1: 1959 pre-cold um, war or it actually pre- might be like the start of the cold war maybe right
0: around there yeah. in that time period so um now according to some documents that were found in the expedition's tent it is believed that the group was dispatched by the local Komsomol, or also known as the All Union Young Leninist Communist League. That's easy to say. No, that's it is not, not easy all. to say that five <laughs> times fast. Not the convoluted all Union, at all. All Union Young Leninist League. <laughs> so, so, so basically, what it is, it's the youth division of the Communist Party.
1: Yeah, uh, communism. Yeah, that's that's going to be a big part of this, I think, when it comes to uh... <laughs> this was
2: actually in the middle of the cold war started in oh, 47 ended in 91 yeah just throw some facts at you guys
1: yeah nice. i just did that because i thought it was i thought because i always associate with like the 60s i don't know it's just how i thought I the think cold war was because yeah. it's in siberia but you, you know, know just uh, with the communism and the, and the what happens later and just the conspiracy theory surrounding it, i just think it's super important that we name these people mm-hmm. um just so oh, we know, yes don't, don't lose sight don't lose sight of that these were nine people that died you know mm-hmm. what i mean like, yeah. These are still real people. Mm-hmm.
0: All right. Yeah. So if you uh, we're just going to go and uh, start reading their names off their, the list here. Uh, so, Octavia, if you want to go ahead and start.
1: Yeah. So to start, we got uh, the leader, 23-year-old Igor Alexievich
2: Dyatlov.
0: We have 21-year-old Yuri Doroshenko.
2: <laughs> okay. We <laughs> 20-year-old Ludmilia Alexandrovna Dubinyana. We got
1: 23 year old Yuri Alexevich Triploshenko.
0: 23 year old Alexander Segevich Kolivatov.
2: Let's not forget 24 year old Zineria Alexevna Kolmogorova. We got
1: 23 year old Rustam Vladimirovich Lobodin.
2: 23 year
0: old Nikolai Vladimirovich Thibault Brignols.
2: And the geriatric, 38-year-old, Simeon Alexander, Alexievius Zolotirov, and finally, the
1: survivor, 21-year-old Yuri Yudin. Very nice. And end. Yeah. And abruptly. And, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we... <laughs> and shut that shit
2: down. <laughs>
1: These people are really young. Seriously, mm-hmm. like... Except for the thirty-eight-year-old. Yeah. Well, he. Uh, invited that him. guy? We'll talk about him later. He's okay, actually pretty okay. important. Yeah. He. Uh, the, everyone, like you said, is is um, university age. So they were coming from the same place, and um, like you would think, these professionals—literally, these people are professionals.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, they are twenty-three-year-old, twenty-one-year-old.
2: Yeah, and, like uh, Olympic status. Yeah. My, man, my question is: How do you? How can you be a professional in something and you're only twenty? 21, 22, 23. I think when you live in the snow,
1: it's, it's, you have to be professional. It adds 10 years. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I guess in Russia. Yeah. Yeah, But they, these weren't just like students who decided to take a hiking trip in the mountains next to Siberia. Like Mm -hmm. these people were like, they're grade two of, uh, skiers or tourists as they're called in Russia. And they're pretty big deal. Um, people look up to these tourists and, um, they were on their way to become masters of sport. And in Russia, this is a huge deal. These are people like superheroes. And, um, but they they were so professional. They all decided to cut out alcohol and had agreed to stop smoking during this trip. I mean, the oh. only alcohol they had was like for medical purposes, uh, you know, to, mm-hmm. for injuries or whatever. And I'm, I'm literally just only telling you this kind of stuff to emphasize that they were a hundred percent like with it, like on top of it, like they, they were, Professionals that they're what they were doing, right. even though they did make some mistakes later on. Right. So what we're about to tell you is what we know is fact and what they we read from their diaries and from photo journals they had and from what the Russian government let us know. Right.
0: Yeah. So um, the first thing that we want to talk about is basically the person who uh, set the expedition. His name was Igor D. Dyatlov. He's the 23-year-old radio engineering student at the Ural Polytechnical Institute, which in today, that would be the Ural Federal University. Um, He was the leader who assembled the group of nine for the trip, um, and most of whom were also fellow students at the school, as well as peers at the university. Um, Now, the group, they consisted of roughly eight men and two women and all of them again were grade two hikers wait we, roughly eight men
1: yeah like they somewhere were, on the fence yeah there were eight well because men.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah because
1: we, the some,
2: group some, started that way the group started some, that way. oh okay yeah some had a little like a limp wrist and you're like yeah so it just it's kind of <laughs>
0: <laughs> it changes so um <laughs> So the grade okay. two hikers, and so they basically have experience with ski tours as well. Um, you know, Upon the return of the trip, they would earn a grade three certification, which was actually the highest certification available for the Soviet Union at the time. Yeah,
1: they changed it like at 63 to include more parts. I think this might have been the cause of it, but they did include more things to do and maybe higher grades in 63. Mm-hmm. And as
0: part of the requirements to get that uh, grade three certification, um, the candidates who were, you know, trying to get that would actually have to traverse around 300 kilometers, or that would also translate to 190 miles in freedom units.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks for that conversion.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was no helpful. I'm it was helpful for me. Yeah. I understood it better that way. Oh, yeah. yeah.
2: Freedom <laughs> units? Yeah. What is this? Uh, kilometers?
1: You got to go three miles as the eagle cause and when you see his shadow then you know but uh like i said before um they all kept like meticulous diaries and detailed timelines of the event up until they didn't like they just stopped and they i think they only did this to prove that they had done the necessary requirements to receive the grade three certification you know they had to be like, okay, this is what we did this day and this day, so that when they were reviewed later, they'd be like, all right, you you qualify. Like here you go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, of course you're gonna want to take detailed notes, man. Imagine traveling
0: 190 miles. You're like, no, 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 you didn't take this many right turns. Sorry, you got to do it all over again, all over again. Yeah, so th- of course they're gonna be taking like those really detailed notes. Um, now the route was designed by Dyatlov's, uh group to reach the far northern regions of Sverdlovsk. Uh, oblast, <laughs> and oblast. the up- <laughs> oblast and the upper streams of the Lozva River. Now, the goal of the expedition was to reach Otorten, which was a mountain that was about 6.2 miles north of the site where the actual incident has occurred.
1: And Mount Otorten actually literally translates to, don't go there. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> no, no, I'm just kidding. That's just a myth someone came up with. Uh, I don't know if it was reported that way or... On purpose, like they're trying to build mm-hmm. suspense, or if it was just a mistranslation, but uh, I think the Mansi people they meant it as uh, a mountain with swirling winds, so it's really not as ominous as it seems. Except for it does account for something that is possible theory if you think about it. Who the hell
2: are the Mansi people?
1: They're the local tribesmen that live up, like, are native to that area in the mountains.
2: Yeah, like the indigenous population in yeah. the area. Oh, the Mansi pansies. Oh, okay.
0: <laughs> so this route. <laughs> Uh, was undertaken in February, was estimated as a category three. Uh, basically, what that means is that it's the most difficult time to traverse during this time period. And on January 23rd, 1959, the Diatlov Group uh, was issued their route book, uh, which listed their course as following the number five trail. Uh, Before leaving, Dyatlov agreed to send the sports club a telegram, letting them know of their safe return back to Vijay. Um, It was expected they should receive the telegram no later than February 12th. However, Dyatlov told Yuri Yudin, one of the members of the group, that it might take longer to complete the trek. Um, He estimated that there should be around like a three-day buffer. And uh, after that, the group left the city the same day that they received the book.
1: Yeah, but the thing is like that route that Diatlov had chosen, it wasn't really known or recorded in any map book because it it wasn't sufficiently studied by geologists or really any kind of trekkers to put it on a map. So they knew that it existed, but um, they just, it had not been like officially recognized. So there's a bit of disagreement as to the exact route the group would take. Um, And like you said, they were sent to the final version, but they, they actually never did and they never got it approved. They just... They had it with them. Mm-hmm. So, like, while in the town of Sverdlovsk, they met an instructor named Semyon Solitaryov. Uh, they also call him Sasha, like, as a nickname because it's Russia. Right. And
2: everyone is a Sasha or a Yuri. Every, yeah, dude. It's a, there's no yeah. Russia with uh, Sasha uh, Barry Cohen. <laughs>
1: there you go. Yeah. He's from Kazakhstan. Close enough. I'm just kidding.
2: He's not. <laughs> 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 but uh, Semyon. Why are you at? <laughs> oh, is that the same back in the time I think it still is let's go up the mountain wow,
1: wow, you are. Wow. <laughs> but Semyon or Sasha um, I haven't decided what I want to call him because Semyon is fun to say mm-hmm. uh, who the group they didn't know him they didn't care for even at first but eventually they all agreed quote unquote agreed to let him join their expedition I, it seems like it was more forced upon them they didn't really have a choice um <clears throat> And they spent most of this first day making sure they had all the food and materials they would need to pack into their backpacks um, before leaving on the train to the city of Serov. At this point, there are 11 people on this trek, um, but one of the group was a man named Slavic Bienko. He did not continue because he wasn't allowed to. I couldn't find why uh, at all. Slavic
0: Bienko. What?
1: Yeah, Slavik Bienko. He he just didn't continue from this point on. I, I don't know if he got in trouble with someone or I, I, I could not find why. He just stopped going with He's them. He's weak, comrade. So he was
0: <clears throat> originally part of the group and he was then he just was – originally part of it. the group. Only for like the
1: first stop. Like the very – they were up until that point, the, up until that first stop. And then gotcha. I, I personally could not figure out why he stopped joining them. Mm. But while on that train, there was a drunk guy he accused that group of stealing vodka from him because will.
0: it was will on the train. <laughs> yeah, <it's> me. <laughs> Where's my vodka?
1: But like the group, like hey, just ignored up. the guy. Me over here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he was just trying to start shit. And, but luckily the, the conductor ex- escorted the drunkie to a police station. And this encounter is interesting because if you remember, I said they didn't drink alcohol and they, they promised to keep sober pretty much the whole time. Um, well, Yuri Yudin, he wasn't able to secure the alcohol they needed uh, before the trip. But when they were found, there was alcohol on them. So I'm not saying I, I'm just I'm just, you know, what I'm saying,
2: mm-hmm. no, I'm saying. Heard that <clears throat> I don't know what you're saying, though. OK, so uh,
1: <laughs> I'm glad I'm not saying, though, I'm not saying though. <laughs> Uh, but just to give an example, like the times before the Cold War or during the Cold War, I guess, now that uh, Will corrected me, um, on January 24th, when they arrived at the Seraph train, train station, they were greeted by police and not allowed into the building at all because a member of their party had begun singing and was immediately taken away
0: he was singing it, Nickelback yeah. that's why oh. he like, hey hey you can't do that here I, Sorry, if, they had, if
1: I had found that in my research I'm like okay that makes sense that's not communism that's just plain common graph. sense but it was explained to them that any disturbance of the passengers were prohibited so they stayed quiet for the rest of the time because communism but mm. this must have been like super hard for them to do because they literally were always singing something and playing the mandolin that uh, one of the guys brought like, always. Like, any chance they got, they were
2: singing. Oh, these is. are f- Russian fucking hippies, then. Yeah. Kind of seems like it. Yeah. <laughs>
0: they, they, they form a there,
2: There's drum never drum a time when, like, dude, I just want to sing.
1: But it's also 1959. <laughs> there wasn't either Communist Russia. Was there radios that they could just tune into? They could, didn't have yeah. their fucking... They didn't have They're their, their radio. They didn't they have their radio on Spotify. It's not
0: like yeah, they had radio they, on Spotify. The radio only played the uh, Soviet Union Soviet. national <laughs> anthem. <laughs> That's yeah <it. laughs> That's the only thing they could listen to. <laughs> Yeah. The, the,
2: fresh,
1: the next train out of seraph it wasn't until 6 30 that night so to pass the time they they met with children at a local elementary school because like i said they were like heroes like tourists like the hikers are known as tourists um and they're basically superheroes so they were treated like superheroes at this school they spent the day talking and meeting with the children and answering like a ton of questions that they had and the kids even cried when they had to leave
2: what a low bar for superheroes in Russia, huh? This is Soviet Union right? at the time. Like, yeah, everything Superman's... out there is just fucking crazy. Oh, Superman's a little bitch. Oh, you can fly? These guys can climb a mountain. <laughs> just go got? climb a mountain, yeah. Yeah, what you got? A laser vision? So... Nah, dude. <laughs> laser Not Soviet Russian. Russia, man. That doesn't get you anywhere. You know how to climb a fucking mountain, dude. <laughs> so now uh, we'll be getting
0: on to the actual expedition of the trip. Um, so when the group arrived in the town of Evedel by train early in the morning on January 25th, 1959. Um, from there, they took a truck or a lorry, as some countries would call them, uh, to the northern town of Vijay. Uh, this town of Vijay is the last populated town they will visit. So here, the group stocked up on food and supplies for the journey, uh, so that way they can take it with them the following day.
1: Uh, on the way to Vijay, the bus they were taking... Um, It held a max of 25 passengers, but they had 25 passengers with them. But they would also be taking their packs and their skis and all of their equipment. So they were—it's like a triple-decker type bus. There was like two or three floors to this bus. A double-decker supreme. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) Um, but they managed to make it work. Like they would, um, one person would sit in like the actual seat, and the other person would sit on like the backrest and put their legs over the other um, skier. And so they would make more room. Oh, uh, that sounds and, comfortable. Oh, it was only like a five-hour trip, dude. Whatever. Only <laughs> yeah, thought <there you> <laughs> <laughs> a but seven-hour uh, plane ride to Florida was That's because you're going to Florida. It's a, no big yeah. deal, dude. Yeah, it was five true. hours. Yeah. That <laughs> is but, true. Uh, there was a small town called Shipicno. 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 I don't know. It's not Italian. I don't know. It's not Italian. The beach, you know and uh like i said it was a long trip so they were given a chance when they stopped to, like get out and stretch their legs which they were happy to do um but then as they were like exploring the town and like checking it out they heard the sound of the bus turn on and start taking off so like ran after it but they weren't able to catch it luckily there was like a woman driving by who saw them running for the bus and she flagged down the bus and they managed to get back on the bus. Like they were this close to maybe even spare, like being saved. If they had missed this bus, who knows? What it's an actually, asshole like you fucking hear. driver!
2: Yeah, he like doesn't know who's, out who's going where. You, you don't realize, hey, there's people fucking stacked, you know, fucking balls to mouth over here in this bus, and all of a sudden, no one's in the bus. <laughs> I stack balls to mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Well, five hours. They're, yeah, they're sitting <laughs> with their legs for the other guy's shoulder. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, they finally got to VJ, but they didn't. They didn't stay there long. They spent the night and got like some rest. But by 1.10 the next day, they were back on a truck uh, for another five hour journey to somewhere called Settlement Forty One. Uh, like this truck is literally like they were in the back of a bed, like a like a cattle truck type thing. And they're wide open. Like just wind hitting them, just yeah, like war zone. You just hop
2: in the back of the freaking <laughs> yeah, flatbed, exactly, yeah, yeah. <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but it, like it was extremely
1: cold, and uh, law, the leader, um, well, the group was He's supposed to send a postcard to, to get to each checkpoint. And the last one that we got was uh, a last postcard, which was to his dad, yeah, to his dad. And it says, uh, Will, do you mind?
2: <clears throat> of course, comrade, it will everyone. Today, 26th, we leave on the route, we arrive well, on February, 12 through 15, I will visit Svedlovsk, I probably will not go home, so let Rufa, on fucking, it's got it, alright, fuck it, so let Rufa bring Lenin to our room for a trip to but now I return, March 5 through 7, greetings, Igor. I don't know, dude. I can't do Russian. Way way to commit, dude. Way to commit.
0: I feel like I know Igor now.
1: I'm in the room with him right now. I I can hear him. All right. All right. All right. Uh, When they got to Settlement 41, which is a working town, like they probably just mine all day. Uh, They spent the day talking to the locals and resting up for the first leg of the journey. At the hotel, yeah, the hotel. They watched a movie called Symphony in Gold for like the fifth fucking time this trip alone. It's only like three days. They fucking loved that movie, dude. (laughs) Symphony in Gold. They any chance they got, they were watching that fucking thing like two, three, five times a day. Dude, these people loved it.
2: Yeah, it's like the sound of music. People just love that (laughs) shit. They like to sing along to it. Yeah, yeah. that's probably probably the only movie. And I bet
1: you, when they were singing songs with their mandolin, they were singing songs for that movie.
0: They were making the soundtrack for it. <laughs> <But> like,
1: <laughs> overall, the town people were really nice. Uh, they went; they really went as far as to give them the town's only horse to help them carry their packs for the first leg of the journey. Like that's oh. how nice these people were to these, and and oh. probably how respected they were for even doing this. Mm. Nice
0: man, very nice people. So, um, yeah. And on January twenty seventh, uh, the official journey into the wilderness began. So they started their route heading towards Gora Otorten, (laughs) the mountain in the north they were traveling to. Um, And for the first day, everything seemed well, like nothing of note really happened during this time period. It was going fairly well. And on January 28th, um, one member of the group, uh, Yuri Yudin, had to turn back and head home due to a knee and joint pain that made him unable to continue the hike. Um, it was said that he suffered from previous ailments, which included rheumatism and a congenital heart defect. He's
1: 23? Oh, 21. He's 21.
0: No, he was a 21 year old. So, uh, Will, what is exactly rheumatism
2: and what does that like kind of entail? Oh, now you're going to fucking throw me under the bus here. Oh, (laughs) you're Um, a resident guy. Oh yeah, yeah. But rheumatism, like, I'm assuming it has to do with like some arthritis stuff, um, like rheumatoid arthritis. Mm-hmm. um And I'm assuming he just had a degradation of basically of his, his joints. What they're saying at a, it, it can happen at a young age. And what uh, they were
1: saying is that 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 trip that I was telling you about on the back of the truck, it just fucked him up. Like it. He oh was, yeah, for
2: sure. Yeah. If you have bad joints and you're sitting in a freaking rickety bus or like five, in the back six of a truck for five back. six hours, like cramped, yeah. it's gonna oh, yeah. it's gonna jack his shit up. That's only when cold. it sucks. But again, you're, you're living in you know. Uh, Communist Russia at the time, and yeah, probably yeah. don't have access to like the best medicine. So, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So, well, he may have had health problems all his life, but he managed to keep having health problems all his life. You know what I mean? You know what mm-hmm. I mean? He mm-hmm. survived. That's Sorry, what I, mean. what I mean. He survived. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he did manage to make it to the second settlement though. Like, he still wanted to collect rocks and minerals, uh, samples to bring back to university. Um, but Yuri ended up only filing pyrite and quartz. Um, the settlement that they landed at was an old geology town and it consisted of like 20 houses, but literally only one of those was actually suitable to use the shelter. The rest of them were busted up like completely. Uh, They didn't provide any shelter at all because they were so old. Dang. Well, that sounds fun. Yeah. So if you had like arthritis and a heart
0: problem, um, would you have taken a part in this journey or this voyage? Like, how taxing would
1: that have been on the body, given the terrain and like the weather conditions? If he was already experiencing it from a five-hour trip, I, I think he would have died before they even got to that point.
2: <clears throat> yeah, and they're like, "All right, go ahead and climb a mountain." Yeah, man, I just even... died. I just died thinking about it right now. Like, holy shit. Yeah, especially with heart problems, man. Mm, yeah. cold, cold weather. You start yeah, getting strenuous and... activity. I mean, they're climbing up a mountain. But even then, once you start getting to higher elevations, the oxygen would, like, levels uh get a lot lower yeah mm-hmm. so you have uh, less oxygen in your body and if you already have yeah. a heart condition yeah, i think
1: he I, he was really upset about it but i think overall obviously he made the right call but even if nothing had happened i think he if he would have been the only fatality if this was a normal trip like he would not oh yeah, a, yeah
2: medical yeah. condition fatality
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. and they, then they would have to carry him down you know what i mean like it just he made ah, the right dude, call. leave him as as tough as that was I'm just, he made leave the right him. call um, yeah, but that like sucks, man. the first day after Yuri left, it, pretty uneventful, like for the first leg of the tour, they made it 10 kilometers through the trail and they mainly just complained about how heavy their packs are since they took Yuri's supplies and just divvied them up amongst themselves. Hmm.
0: Well, that's good for them. Like extra granola bars here and yeah, there for
1: everybody. I'm sure it helped, but still, you got to carry all that. Um, yeah. But then, like I said, the next day, January 29th, it was Yuri Doroshenko's birthday. Hey, Dabra do- yeah. oh, no,
0: that's, that's Italian. Wait, hold on. Yeah. Hey, Doroshenko! <laughs> he just
1: <laughs>
2: use his own name? <laughs> <laughs> He's not a Pokemon yeah. guy. He's not a Pokemon <laughs> Hey, Doroshenko! Hey, Doroshenko! <laughs> uh,
1: it was another uneventful day, though. Um, but they did start finding Monzi signs, the indigenous tribe there. Mm-hmm. And uh, they didn't know what they said. It could have been a warning. He's like, hey, stop. You're going to die. But they had no idea. They just kept oh. on keeping on. Keeping on, keeping on. And
0: on January 31st, the group had arrived at the edge of a highland area where they would prepare to face the Highlander. The Highlander! There could only be one. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you guys seen that movie? Anyway, so they prepared. They prepared. <laughs> you messed
2: yourself up
1: with that joke, man. They prepared.
0: Uh, they prepared to start climbing. So they set up a cache with food and equipment in this area uh, to be used for the return journey.
1: Uh, at this point, they they reached a trail, um, and they had to find their own. They reached the end of the trail, and they had to find their own way in four feet of snow, uh, and. Just to show you how seriously this group took this expedition, uh, two of the group took too long to start a fire the night before, and this day they gave them extra duty as punishment. Like, these people were not fucking oh, around. You you don't pull hardcore. your weight, yeah, you don't pull your weight, you're going to get some extra work on top of the strenuous shit we're already doing.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. So, the, I mean, obviously the, the journey itself is pretty, yeah, pretty hardcore, so... And then you
1: got extra duty on top of that, just because yeah. you're not pulling your weight.
0: yeah. Well, so, yeah, we, uh, this is where we start to get into, uh, you know, the really, really hardcore part of it. So well, let's just kind of get into the mindset when uh, they started getting through this. So uh, on January 31st, 1959, the hikers began to move through the pass. And it seems that their plan was to get over the pass and set up camp on a very
1: specific side of the mountain. Uh, they had actually managed to find that Monzi Trail again. And they saw a Monty Hunter. Oh, they saw a Monty Hunter. That scared <laughs> me so shit. bad. Oh man, I thought you guys were like straight up vaping into the mic. I thought uh, someone just fucking took their final breath. That was scary. <laughs> we well, gotta get into the, you gotta get the, you
0: get into the mic. Like, we're starting All right, to get fucking so, cold right now. pulled up here.
1: Oh, They oh, managed okay. to find a... Oh shit. Uh, just the <laughs> this is quality right here keep going, keep going. They, a Mancy hunter tracking a deer and would follow behind the hunter using the same trail uh they reached a point where they could no longer see the trail and had to slow down to a point of doing less than a mile an hour um they decided to have one of the group like drop their pack and ski ahead for like five minutes and then scout the area and then lay down a trail for the rest uh to come back and get the rest they did this to keep a fresh ski track and to follow um, and to follow it would take turns going ahead. Um, a second person in the group had to travel the same path while wearing their pack, which proved to be much more difficult. Thank you so much. Oh, break it! Oh, no!
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so in reality, what had happened was they ended up
0: on the opposite side of the mountain due to the severe weather conditions. So it was conditions what? were low. <laughs> they were. <laughs> Severe weather conditions and low visibility. Now, when I say severe weather conditions, like, I'm talking holy shit.
2: Yeah, like this? Yeah, so,
0: from a 2015 repeat investigation, they confirmed that the weather was very harsh on the night of the tragedy with winds up... (laughs) (laughs) It Thank just, you, <laughs> <out>. <laughs> with winds and speeds up to hurricane force levels. And we're talking between 72 to 108 kilometers per hour. Or in freedom units, that translates to 45 to 67 miles per hour. And it was also negative 40 degrees Celsius. So they lost their direction and deviated toward the top of Kolyat uh which is also known as Dead Mountain, as we kind of you know talked about earlier by the Mansu people.
1: <laughs> oh, Pretty um, intense, right? Yeah, you
2: sure <laughs> set the mood for that. Yeah. So, anyways... I felt like I was there. Yeah, Jesus. <laughs> and you're here talking like, <laughs> like I didn't a serial killer just... <laughs> Like, you don't have to talk over the winds. (laughs) I (laughs) I couldn't hear you. Exactly. So you couldn't hear
0: them. That's how they got lost. So um, now this is where, you know, uh, the decision making, you know, sort of comes into play. Um, When they realized their mistake, they decided to camp it out on the slope of the mountain rather than travel a little less than a mile downhill to a nearby forest that would have offered a bit of shelter from the elements.
1: There's this uh, now famous photo that is thought to be the exact moment that uh, Igor, the leader, made his choice and which path they would actually take, which is speculated to be the decision that led them to their fates. Uh, the photo was dubbed Council of Feely, named after a painting by Alexei Kivchenko. Mm. Uh, in the photo, you'll see Dyatlov speaking to Semyon or Sasha and the rest of the gang's kind of in the background, putting on more layers of clothes and uh, preparing for the harsh conditions ahead. Um Now, imagine like being in that scenario where you're
0: leading an expedition of your friends through some pretty tough terrain. Uh, Then you get lost and end up off course, all while enduring through a crazy snowstorm. And you and your crew are out in the middle in the open. So what do you do?
1: Mm -hmm. I I couldn't think straight. I'll tell you that much. (laughs) I would not be able to think straight.
0: Yeah, I mean, clearly, like, I just played just an audio (laughs) clip and you guys were already just kind of like, what the fuck is going on? I was turned
1: around. (laughs) I didn't know which way was north.
0: (laughs) So when asked about this, um, Yuri Yudin, the hiker who turned back due to the knee and joint pain, said this. Dyatlov probably did not want to lose the altitude they had gained. He decided to practice camping on the
1: mountain slope. You didn't yeah. go into yeah, yeah, because you
2: didn't you didn't turn Scottish. Was, well, thank you. Was <laughs> him
1: practicing on the mountain slope? I think it could possibly. Be this Is that part of a grade three certification? Like, is that something, or is it, you think that's just something he personally wanted to do?
0: Well, that's what I was it. thinking. It's like, I mean, would have been a hell of a time to start doing a practice when you got some fucking hurricane mountain.
1: Yeah, it's so it could be as part of the certification. That maybe we just didn't find that information. It could be that he had to do that in order to get the grade three like there's no way to oh probably him. yeah no, that makes that makes sense that's one of the requirements because why else would he risk the lives of his people uh if he for didn't have practice? to yeah i mean yeah, he, some, he, he would lose because the, the the tree line was like a mile downhill that they could have retreated to for safety but he chose there uh knowing that there was not the safest place it's the side of the mountain dude like mm-hmm. yeah in the open yeah yeah so on February 1st, uh, they were supposed to write a note before they climbed Mount Otorten, but instead they wrote a satirical propaganda leaflet uh, entitled Evening Otorten Number 1. Uh, after this, though, we have no record of what happened next. Um, but what the plan would have been if they had continued on would to spend February 2nd at Lake Luntusaptur at the edge of Mount Otorten, And on February 3rd, they were to reach uh, or ascend Mount Otorton and uh, set up for the night on Dead Mountain itself. Mm -hmm. And then on February 4th, they were supposed to trek back down to uh, Aspiria, where they had left a cache of equipment. Yeah. And they were going to start heading slowly back to Vijay uh, and finish up their trip. Nice. So as previously
0: mentioned, um, when they were supposed to return back to Vijay, uh, they were to send a telegram notifying the club of their safe return. Um, However, on February 12th, the date that they were supposed to send the telegram, nothing was received. Um, So Yuri Yudin, around this time, headed back to town and waited for the group to return. Um, He understood that they might take longer than anticipated. So when no one received word on February 12th, it didn't raise alarms right away. Um, It wasn't until about a week later on February 20th, that the relatives of the hikers demanded a search party be formed to find the missing group um, the head of the institute set sent the first rescue parties um, which consisted of volunteer students and teachers now later the rescue operation expanded to include the army and militia forces um, which allowed the use of planes and helicopters in the search um that's serious on, business man for it, everybody. it was it's, a huge deal business. Because, I mean, again, like, these are essentially national heroes, um, and then they're, they've gone missing. So um, when, you know, when the government and, like, when national got a hold of that, they're like, yeah, we're going to, you know, put all of our time and effort into this. And they allowed the planes and helicopters. Yeah. Um, now, on February 26th, the search party found the group's abandoned tent and damaged tent on the side of the mountain. So it was abandoned and damaged. Uh, The student who found the campsite was confused and stated, The tent was half torn down, covered with snow, and it was empty, and all the group's belongings uh, and shoes had been left behind. And upon further investigation, they noticed that the tent had been cut open from the inside. They were able to follow nine sets of footprints said to have been made either by being barefoot, with socks, and one was wearing a single shoe. Uh, The footprints led down the slope to a nearby wooded area on the
1: opposite side of the pass. The crazy thing about those footprints, though, is that they were found to be made, like, they were, at first, around the tent, it was all hectic. Like, there's footprints everywhere. But then they were made at, they found them at, like, a regular pace. And the trail they left going down the mountains was single file. Like it, it kind of indicated that they weren't in a hurry and they were kind of in control of what they're doing. But if, if you think about it, if they cut the tents from the inside, you would think they'd be frantic and running down the hill. Like it didn't matter if they're single far or not, they'd be trying to get away. But that's not
2: the case. And it just completely furthers the mystery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, someone's probably like, fuck this. I'm going to the woods. Y'all want to come. I can't get out the door because it's <laughs> snow, bro. It's so dark as hell. Where's the door? <laughs> but then the footprints yeah. are like
1: the footprints are like, yeah, that guy's like, I'm coming down the hill. But if you gotta follow me, you gotta follow my footsteps.
2: Yeah, fall behind. <laughs> me. Well, I, you gotta figure too if they're as we heard before, the fucking hurricane blizzard. Yeah. whatever we want to call that shit. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't want to get lost. Yeah, so you're basically yeah. you just like hold my pocket. Yeah, and they're, they're holding your pocket going down the hill. So yeah, they're probably just trying not to get lost on the way down. Now this is that where... would be my theory. Yeah,
1: this is a this is a start of um, yeah. So that's that's, yeah, that's what that's weird. what I'm
2: thinking is they went single file so they didn't all get lost to go down to the, the tree line for coverage because mm-hmm. the storm got a little too crazy.
0: Yeah, possibly. Yeah. So this is where investigators found what was left of a small fire and the remains of Kriv, all right, hold on, and Doroshenko. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were found in only their underwear with no shoes. Under the large Siberian pine tree where the bodies were found, investigators noticed that several branches up high were broken, suggesting that one of the hikers climbed up the tree to look for something, perhaps in an effort to locate their campsite.
1: Or perhaps to run from something. Mm -hmm. Maybe they were trying to get up a tree for safety. Like a bear. Yeah, like a bear. Uh, but okay, so this is the start of where what we found and what has been told to us about what they found. So basically, every time they found a hiker, what they found just added more and more questions and answered none of them. So Yuri Doroshenko uh, was the first body they found. He was found face down. Oddly enough, he was wearing like a regular t-shirt and swimming trunks because everybody knows when you go on vacation to the freezing fucking tundra, swimming trunks are a must. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. He wasn't wearing shoes either, and Doroshenko had burns on his face and feet. He had scrapes and bruises all over his body, and there was also a weird fluid coming out of his mouth, which is possibly from experiencing heavy trauma to his chest. Uh, on, top of all that, on top of all that, he had blood covering his ears and a lot of his face. Investigators believe that these were all self-inflicted wounds. Um, lying next to Doroshenko was Krivonyshenko, who was only wearing a long-sleeved shirt and a single sock. Uh, like Doroshenko, though, he had cuts and bruises everywhere and burns on his extremities, and a piece of his own knuckle was found in his mouth. Investigators found out that both bodies were moved post-mortem, and maybe the others had taken their clothing, explaining why they were found in next to nothing and why they were moved. Mm-hmm.
2: <clears throat> well, I mean, so the, so they, they both had similar injuries, right? They had and yeah. bruises yeah. and burns. So. Burns, yeah campfire they're freezing their ass off they got super close to the fire
1: and when they passed out they fell in
2: yeah and the scrapes and bruises they might have been the ones climbing the tree
1: yeah yeah fell out of the the fucking tree yeah Yeah, the branches
2: broke and landed on the fire but
1: see this is this is why this case is so fucking interesting because yeah those are all plausible explanations it's not 100 percent sure what happened Mm -hmm. so that's what makes this so fucking, like, just Why was he biting his knuckle so hard? They, I did read somewhere that possibly he uh, was trying to... He was so cold, he was trying to bite his knuckle to keep himself from chattering. Or maybe he was mm-hmm. in pain and bit his knuckle too hard. Um, but, yeah, a piece of his own knuckle was found in his mouth. So.
0: Wow. Now, between the pine tree, where the first two hikers were found on the campsite, three more bodies were found. The corpses of Dyatlov... Kolmogorova and Slobodin were found in poses suggesting that they were trying to return to the tent. Now keep in mind these were pretty spaced out like far apart. Now the distance between the campsite and the tree line was a little less than a mile so they were climbing uphill in negative 40 degree weather at night with no clothes or shoes on.
1: So of these three Igor Dyatlov was the first one found and was found face up and both hands were making fists. Uh, Igor had cuts and bruises all over his face and weird bruises on his ankle. Um, he was also missing one of his incisors. Uh, in the coroner report, they said these were all consistent with the fist fight, which makes sense considering his hands were balled up into fists and he was missing a tooth. Um, it's also believed that he was moved post-mortem as well. Uh, Zenaida Kolmogorova was wearing a lot more clothes than any of the previous tourists found but the clothes were suspiciously torn and she had bruises and cuts all over her um, there was this weird bruise on the side of her torso kind of like it could have been possibly made by like a stick or a baton of some kind mm-hmm. like it was just weirdly shaped and then a week later they found the body of Rustem Slobodin uh, he was lying face down with a fractured skull and internal bleeding in his head uh, they think he possibly survived whatever it is that caused the, the skull fracture, and then he got all fucking dizzy and just didn't know where he was doing and just walked until he finally collapsed. Uh, he was also showing signs of being moved after he died. Right. I don't know about the,
2: the bald fist
1: being a fist fight
0: it wouldn't it just doesn't like the circumstance doesn't to me say that there was any well, sort of
2: when we get
1: into like, the theories like well i don't think i actually covered it, so i can talk about this one now um mm-hmm. the, one of the theories is that there was a fist fight that broke out um for whatever reason um because two of them showed signs of a fist fight like like i said uh he had like a missed tooth like he got punched in the face and his his hands were in fists but why would they still be in fists i, I don't know like
0: I well said, yeah well it's it's freezing amazing. conditions yeah and, so he's just trying um, to keep like yeah
2: yeah and rigor mortis sets in but i mean if you're in freezing temperatures <clears throat> kind of how the system works is if shit's cold your muscles tense up right yeah and so when you know the only can, one he was the yeah. with those fists what's that He was the only one found with those fists, like, making a fist. Yeah, but everyone else, if they looked at their hands, they were probably fucking tensed up. Yeah, Yeah. who knows, dude. (laughs) Now, finding the remaining four hikers
0: would take more than two months. Um, They were finally found on May 4th, 1959, under 13 feet of snow in a ravine that was 246 feet from the pine tree where the
1: other bodies were found, uh, they had like created a kind of den that uh, like experienced hikers would do in these conditions. Uh, it was kind of like a, they digged out a hole, covered them, like made like a little cave. It was made mm-hmm. to help them out, like, keep them out of the elements, and like kind mm-hmm. of give them, try to give them a better shot at survival, at least. Yeah, and three of the
0: four travelers were better suited for the cold temperatures, and there were signs suggesting that some of the clothing from those who died first had been used by the others. Dubanina was wearing Kurov... Okay, I'm going to have... Kurovnishenko's... found it out. <laughs> Kurovnishenko's burned, torn trousers, and her left foot and shin were wrapped in a torn jacket. Yeah. Um... And this is where things start to get pretty interesting. Now, a legal inquest started immediately after the first five bodies were found, and a medical examination was performed, and they had concluded that they had died from hypothermia, which makes sense, despite all of the other non-life-threatening injuries. And an examination of the four remaining hikers found in May had completely shifted the narrative of the incident.
1: All right, so the first body in the den uh, was Ludmila Dubenina. She was found next to a stream with running water, and her jawbone was exposed. Uh, she was missing the skin around her mouth and her cheeks. Um, and like I said, you can see the bones underneath. Her lips, eyes, and tongue were just completely gone. Uh, there was blood found in her stomach, which means she was probably alive when that happened. And she also had 10 broken ribs and hemorrhaging in her heart um the what? second yeah yeah oh there's more hold on just let me let me finish the, the second body and then we'll talk about it because the second body they looked at was uh, Semyon Zolotaryov he was the old man of the group and he was found pretty appropriately dressed for the weather he was wearing multiple layers of clothes and his boots but he wearing lots of clothes doesn't help when you have a flail chest five broken ribs and a deep gash to the back of your head uh, just like Ludmila parts of his face were gone including both eyes and his skull was visible
2: so oh, it, that's completely different from the first five just a hundred percent yeah these are all traumatic injuries and I wonder because these are the ones that were found in that um, that, and and ravine. That, yeah, <clears throat> that ravine yeah is there any? talk about them falling maybe 246 that, feet that was <laughs> the first thing i thought of too yeah was like these are i think like, it's possible that
1: they did and then they created the shelter around
2: them when they realized to... they're in a ravine yeah, that's... yeah and they realized they were fucking dying because yeah. 10 broken ribs and the hemorrhaging in the heart sounds like yeah. traumatic chest injury yeah like same thing could, with the
0: they were walking around in the dark and there's a fucking snowstorm and low visibility they just walked off a cliff and like landed on top mm-hmm. of a rock yeah I mean, it definitely something that seems to, like what could happen. And we we also talked about this in the last episode, too, but the amount of force required to fracture a skull is pretty substantial. Mm-hmm. You know, according to Boris Vosros...
1: Do it, do it, do it. Bo- <laughs> <laughs> <Sorry>. I can... <laughs> I can't do this, dude. Vosros- there's so many... <laughs> Boris <laughs> Boris then Vosros- <laughs> Hey, oh. Hey, Tom, Danny. All yeah. right, we'll call him Denny. Denny for short, yeah.
0: Now, the force, re- he says this, according to Denny, the force required to cause such damage would have been extremely high, comparable to that of a car crash and could not have been done by another human. Notably, the bodies have no external wounds associated with the broken ribs as if they had been subjected to a high level of
1: pressure. Yeah, some scientists are like still baffled and they cannot explain how so many broken ribs can be present without any outward signs of trauma like uh, oh okay yeah yeah there's no
2: signs of trauma that's actually
1: pretty crazy right (laughs) like like all these broken ribs but you cannot tell that it happened how it it occurred yeah so alexander kolevatov was found near the den and was kind of dressed okay i mean he had a jacket and pants they had tears and burns all over it though i don't know why he didn't just take off his pants and jacket
2: Really? I'm, I'm, just love let you. I'm just gonna let you know gonna hang really? there. Like, gonna just hang there. Yeah, just hang yourself. Hang
1: yeah. Oh man, I' worth it. Worth it. <laughs> I, <laughs> worth it. Worth it. Uh, Kalev, Kalev, all right. was found uh, missing parts of his face, and he had exposed bone. And like Semyon, he had a gash in the back of his head. Except what was different about him was that his neck looked broken, or at the very least deformed, and he had a broken nose. Um, the last hiker they found was Nikolai Brignoles. Uh, and just like Zola Terioff, he was dressed.
2: <laughs> Brignoles. What I think, I How think he was, I think he was, I again, was
1: possibly French. Just by looking by the name, I think he was like Thib- Thibaut Brignoles. I think it's French, but I could be completely wrong, but we'll say Nikolai Brignoles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And just like Zola Terioff, he, was, he was, uh, dressed appropriately for the weather with multiple layers and his boots. Nikolai had fractures all over the side of his face that could really only be explained by something hitting him just really fucking hard. But again, no signs of outward trauma. Uh, he also had a major injury to his arm, and they believe he sustained these injuries while he was asleep. Uh, the fact that Zolotaryov and Brignolis were dressed appropriately has led people to believe that they were already outside the tent when whatever it is that happened, happened. And just, there's a camera... That they found around uh, Brignola's neck that um, had photos right before the event, and there's kind of like people say there's orbs and stuff on this camera, but I
2: I didn't see that. I, I oh. didn't. It no. kind of just reminds. <laughs> Talking about he was asleep when this happened. Mm-hmm. It's like in uh, Step Brothers. <laughs> they're <just> sleepwalking. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Maybe he was sleepwalking. So of, yeah, so all of them just got in a freaking MMA fight as they're <laughs> sleepwalking. <laughs>
0: Now, here's also some really, really strange – like a pretty strange part of this too was that – not to mention that some of the journalists were able to take a look at the available parts of the inquest file and claimed that some levels of radiation were found on the clothing.
1: And not even just on their clothing, really all around the entire area. Like so far, no one can give a satisfactory answer as to why radiation was found at all. Uh, in fact, the pilot who airlifted them away after they were found, he refused to take them on board his craft without placing them in zinc coffins first. Like, as a military pilot, what information does this guy know that would make him so damn cautious?
2: I got it. I solved it. Are you did? I know what it is.
0: <laughs> All right, we'll get to we'll get to theories. Yeah, and you save that. We're almost, damn it. Save, that. save, save dude, it, save dude. It, save like, it. We're almost oh, there. Man, man. We're, we're almost guys there. On- Leave you guys
2: on a cliffhanger with that one God. now no, at the time <laughs> at the time of the
0: official conclusion um it was the official conclusion was that the group members had died because of a compelling natural force the inquest officially ceased in may 1959 as a result of the absence of a guilty party and then the files were sent to a secret archive
1: top men top top men men uh but after the bodies were recovered uh the russian government had planned to place them all in like a a single area not exactly a mass grave but honestly probably not too far off Mm -hmm. uh the families all fought to take their loved ones back to their hometown to give them a proper burial and eventually the authorities gave in but with stipulations Uh, The deceased were out to have closed caskets and they actually dispatched KGB agents to monitor the funerals like all creepy style like in the movies where people in nice suits and dark glasses just in the back and an earpiece and they're just standing a little bit away from the funeral. like kind of like that. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, here's the thing. Just like everything else in this fucking case, that might not be true at all. Because there are others that say uh, the bodies were in an open casket and there are rumors flying around that they may have wandered into some tests or experiments because when they saw the bodies, they were like an unnatural, like red-orange color, like like brick color.
0: Oh, so, like oxidized?
1: Yeah, so like, just like every fucking – every aspect of this case, there's no – there's so many there's things flying around. It's, it's hard to know which one is what. So mm-hmm. I just went with both, and you can pick which one is reality because uh, who the fuck knows? Yeah, but uh, with there's that, there's a lot of different contradicting evidence out there. Yeah, with that, dude, let's get into the fucking wild theories that make yeah. this case so damn interesting. All right. Like, I, I'm going to tell you what Nat Geo had to say after we've covered uh, more of the fun theories. That mm-hmm. way, you can decide if it makes sense and explains all of the occurrences on that February night. So, there are like literally 75 theories about what could have happened, and not a single one satisfies the mystery completely. Uh, a lot of singular events could be attributed attributed to multiple theories. So, nice.
0: And with that, let's uh, yeah. let's just you hop guys into ready the for this. This is where it has,
2: This is where you're people... ready for another three hours we're of on... 75 fucking theories, guys. <laughs> I think <laughs> I went not go like over, five. It, I we're went not gonna go over five. 75 theories, dude. Yeah, little, take forever, do, right? dude.
1: I went with like the top for me, the top five. Yeah, that, are, just that
2: just are fun. Sit the so, fuck down. Let's do
1: it. Put your tinfoil hats on. Let's go.
0: All right. First theory, Will. I, I noticed you wanted, it. you had a theory, you had a conclusion. Yeah, so Let's, let's just Will hop the right theory. into it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
2: This is my theory. Nukes. Ooh. Drop, drop the, the mic. Yep. Drop the mic. It all nuke, makes sense.
1: That is one. Th- not exactly a nuke, but it is a theory. It's a bomb. So, Cold war. Use- right. Hear me yeah. out.
2: Cold war. Mm-hmm. Already knew there was uh, nuclear warfare there are, and the Russians had to be testing out the fuck out of their uh, yeah. nuclear missiles. That's a legitimate theory. You have, you have all these guys with multiple uh, rib fractures with no trauma. So the compression, you, you know, obviously when a fucking yeah. explosion goes off and they all look like red bricks, they got mm. burnt. Everything was burned, right? All their shit was burnt to fuck. Their skin was all fucked up, right? If they were looking like they were red, that's just, they got boiled. Yeah, that's, boom. That's my theory. It's not bad, really. It's really not that's bad. That's pretty close to what some yeah. of the other ones
1: were. Yeah. So this is this is what I have written down for the first theory. So theory number one, the KGB angle. If you remember, Semyon Zolotaryov or Sasha joined the expedition at like literally the last second, and then the diaries they had written about him and described his addition as not having a choice. Sasha was almost was almost twice as old as the rest of the group. And was well, this is a 38-year-old, right?
2: Yeah, 38-year-old. Yeah, okay, okay. Yeah.
1: He, uh, he was an instructor for another group. Like, why force himself into this expedition? He was already in another group as an instructor. Uh, Semion, or Sasha, was a veteran of the NKVD and had many years of experience. And it's possible Dyatlov's group had, like, triggered a response by the communist government to send someone to keep an eye on them because the route they had chosen... Was possibly the site of a nuclear testing. Oh shit, look at that dude. Oh. But that's not very likely though, right? Like, mm,
0: <laughs> Will is it all disappointed? No, I'm, I'm oh, saying man. in this
1: specific case, just like Semyon just inserting himself into the group. Right. Uh, along the same vein, it's also been said that along with Semyon, Alexander Kolevatov, before attending the university, was a member of a top secret nuclear facility known as PO Box 3394. And Yuri Krivonashenko had worked at a site where a nuclear meltdown had occurred in 1957, second only to Chernobyl in 86.
0: That's what I was just about to mention,
1: too, because it
0: sounds a lot very similar to a Chernobyl incident.
1: Yeah. So the theory states that these three comrades were not brought together by happenstance and they had an objective that was known only to them and the rest of the group had no idea. Uh, The mission was to deliver radioactive material to CIA agents and take their photos. But on February first, when the meetup and exchange was supposed to happen, the Americans realized they were being had, and a mighty fight broke out: CIA versus KGB. But the Americans came out on top and tortured and murdered the whole party, leaving no witnesses. In typical <laughs> Russian fashion, Classic though, Americans. in typical Russian fashion, though, this theory is widely dismissed because, and I quote. They were tough guys. To scare the daylights out of them, you would need something astonishing, something extraordinary. Like, take that you silly Americans, fucking sick burn. No American could take down any Russians. Um, But also the tourists could have just simply stumbled upon a military testing area and soldiers were just protecting themselves and whatever it is they could have seen. Um, The footprints found found in the snow also led to this conclusion. The fact that they seem frantic at first, and then they seem to start walking calmly in a single file line, might be because they were made to at gunpoint. The reason this has any kind of following is because the camera found around the neck of Semyon was not the camera he had when he left, and Yuri uh, Yudin, the survivor, even said he didn't recognize the camera that they had found. It might be that Semyon had taken photos of something he really should not have, or maybe they were mistaken for gulag escapees. Um, if you remember, this, Gulag. Is, this is Cold yeah. War. The gulags were everywhere. Mm-hmm. So like communist Russia, they were everywhere. And, and maybe they were mistaken for escapees and were executed. Or maybe they were murdered by escapees, which isn't likely because I think the closest one was like 40 miles away.
2: Yeah, and and so they would have yeah, frozen yeah.
1: tundra. yeah. Um, but this is brought about by the fact that Yuri Udin had found a piece of clothing that did not belong to any of the group. What he found was uh, typically used by soldiers in the 40s and later were used by prisoners of Stalin's concentration camps. What he found was called an obmatki, and it was used to cover your feet or legs to keep them warm. No one knows how it ended up among the tourist possessions, and even less people know how it disappeared from the evidence room. Uh, The nearest gulag was only a few miles from where they were found. Uh, Problem is, there was no reports of any escapees at the time. But then again, why would the Russian government ever admit to a mistake like
0: that? Of course. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, they're not going to say, "Yeah, our gulags are, you know, infallible. You know, there's going to be people escaping. They're not going to admit to that. No, no way. They They could barely admit to the Chernobyl incident.
1: I'll get to my my theory a little bit later, kind of along that. But it's just they're not going to tell us everything. Of course. They're not uh so okay theory numero dos a fucking yeti, yeti. yeah Nerd, a fucking yeti yeah dude. Uh, the, oh, locals, yeah, yeah. the locals call him make uh the manzi people they call him make this theory is a fan favorite because if you remember on the last night they had written anything down uh they had made a newsletter and in that lo- newsletter uh, one of the headlines reads um in recent years there is has the been yeti? that was uh, it's yeah, white no, it's definitely a white little creature <laughs> And, uh, so, um, they had read a newsletter and one of the headlines read, uh, in recent years, there has been heated debate about Yeti. From now on, we know the snowmen exist. They can be found in Northern Ural next to Mount Torton. Is this proof that it's seen something in real life before they were murdered? Or Ooh. was this just satire? Uh, were they just like, haha man, wouldn't it be funny if we told everyone we've seen to Yeti? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Because one of the many photographs is actually showed to you uh, will yeah uh, it was taken from uh, brick camera and it shows a picture of a figure that kind of looks like a big feet stalking them it's either that a or someone yeah, or feet with a big no I call him big feet because has bigfoot he doesn't have one foot he has two feet they're both big not just one um, <laughs> okay big okay. so the the discovery yeah, channel so call feet, this right yep The Discovery Channel saw this and they were convinced that this would make for great TV. So they made a documentary, quote unquote, documentary called Russian Yeti The Killer Lives. Uh, The Yeti angle would explain why some of them had defensive wounds and why Duba Nina had her tongue ripped out and why these super professional and experienced tourists would cut their only form of shelter from the inside just to escape into the dark of the frozen mountain without their shoes or any kind of protective equipment. Uh, it would also explain why some of the injuries were described as having had the same effect of being in an accident traveling about 35 miles an hour. Hmm. So, Yeti, mm. not Yeti. Fucking charging at them like a Mack truck, dude. So, I mean, yeah. were, they, were they just being empirical <clears throat> yeah. with, with their post and that picture is just a blurry...
2: Yeah, and then the Yeti had a gun and put it to the back of their heads and made a more marked or- single file down the... And uh, <laughs> yeah, Yeti was or, radioactive or at the same back, time.
1: Going back to the KGB angle, uh, was that picture they had just someone trailing them in a big coat. Maybe they turned around and took a picture and there was a yeah, guy... You, you, well, you
2: showed them. me that picture, and the first thing yeah. I said was Bigfoot. Uh, but yeah. again, It's it's blurry. Yeah, it's blurry. <sighs> yeah.
1: thing uh, what do you think about Yeti?
0: I don't think a Yeti is... I mean... Okay, the idea of a fucking Arctic version of Chewbacca going around and killing everybody, <laughs> like, I don't think that's, to me, dude, like, that just doesn't seem likely.
1: Yeah, there's not like, enough Tauntauns around.
0: Not enough Tauntauns, dude. And again, like, this was. <laughs> this Is
1: fucking like you Star know. Wars lore in here?
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, and then there was an Adat? Fucking. Yeah. Yeah. That's what the, <laughs> that's over the, that's what the tracks were, man. That's, yeah. That's the <laughs> radiation, the Adat came out of nowhere. Yeah, oh, yeah. Stormtroopers so, coming in.
0: The whole thing about the Yeti, I mean, I like. I can entertain, entertain the idea that there was. It's fun. Um, you know, it's fun. it's fun to think about. Yeah. But is it is it plausible? I don't think so, dude. Like well, no. makes it makes it makes a documentary. The, right? Okay, the so going that, forward,
1: when we cover cryptids, we know your stance is nah, ain't for me.
0: Well, yeah. no. The thing is, like, I just my mind just typically goes to the more logical conclusion like yeah these are logical is, like, Fuck. yeah the logical <laughs> like my mind is telling me like hey man if it was a yeti like those footprints would be seen leaving in a hurry not in a single file so mm-hmm. that's like one thing to be like okay so maybe what's the deal here like you ever think that the yeti has something? mind control powers yes it does have mind control powers yeah i've seen a see? yeti <laughs>
1: i am a yeti uh, <laughs> uh, the third theory is they were attacked by aliens
0: Oh, see, yep, this is, this is the This
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. on board, I'm on board. Already? You, this yep. is it, this is what happened is already. Wrong, Don't right. even need right. to know. Sign and
2: the fuck up for aliens. Case closed. As long as there's butt play. Yeah. Like,
1: wait, <laughs> oh, <what>? obviously, <laughs> they're aliens, that's all they do. <laughs> yeah, did they uh,
2: check uh, all right. Their
1: butt holes? So this claim is not as far-fetched as it might seem. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the day the tourists were believed to have met their fates, a Russian military base had decided to test some rockets by launching them into the North Ural mountain range, while observing these tests, several geologists claim to have seen glowing and pulsating orbs fly towards Dead Mountain, where the hikers were. Uh, and even the Monty claimed that they saw a bright burning object in the sky, and um, that they saw that as a bad omen, but could it have been a UFO that they saw flying over them? Who knows, but they in true... Yeah, in true USSR fashion, though, any mention of UFOs or even any drawings or claims of sightings by the Manzi people were stricken from the record. Why would they do that? Unless they're hiding
2: something, right? 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 Missiles. Man, I'm just... It it makes me think about missiles again. I like my theory so much. Yeah. (laughs) One
1: of the lead investigators in this case had published an article in 1990 admitting that under pressure from his superiors he had withdrawn any evidence that would indicate the true cause of this accident, which according to him was fireballs or a UFO. In the article he published, he states, when, quote, when Maslenovic and I examined the scene in May, we found... That's okay. I moved on. We found that some young (laughs) trees at the edge of the forest had burn marks, but those marks did not have a concentric form or some other pattern. There was no epicenter. This once again confirmed that heated beams of a strong but completely unknown, at least to us, energy were directing their firepower towards specific objects, in this case people, acting selectively. So this dude says that the tops of the trees, like at the canopy, had burn marks, now take that as you will, because honestly, who the fuck knows at this point? Like right. the footprints also point to possible alien abduction, because not only do the footprints go from chaotic to calm and orderly, they also disappeared before they get to the tree line, where they were found. Could it be that maybe aliens fucking mind controlled them to walk down the mountain, or then and then abduct them before they got to the tree line, and then just drop them off all willy nilly? Or maybe they didn't weren't as careful with the last four, and just like oh we got five of them, and just drop the rest of them off in that ravine. So that's one theory, I mean that's aliens. And actually the, the lead investigator, Lev Ivanov, he's completely concerned. I mean, um, convinced, convinced that- uh, Concerned and convinced.
2: Yeah, <laughs>
1: I think he's- big
2: concerned too with aliens. Yeah,
1: yeah. So he's convinced that it's aliens, like that's his take. And he's one of the lead investigators in the whole thing. So that's the fourth cool. and final theory that I want to talk about before we get to uh, what National Geographic has to say, is a thing called infrasound. This one is really interesting. Like, just, I would never have thought this because I'm not a scientist. But right. uh, new research into the rare weather phenomenon has suggested that a perfect storm could have caused some of the tourists to panic and escape into the night before coming to their senses, only after fleeing a mile away, while others gain composure much sooner as the sound affects everybody differently. Um, the extremely dangerous weather phenomenon is also known as Carmen Vortex Street and is proven to create, proven to create terrifying and powerful sounds that cause irrational fear in people. Carmen Vortex Street is basically really fast wind that is traveling in a straight line and in this specific case hit the mountain which is dome-shaped and it caused the wind to bounce off and swirl creating many powerful tornadoes that would rip down the mountain. I'm talking strong enough to like rip the roof off your house and the sound produced would be incredibly loud as we saw earlier
2: we couldn't mm-hmm. fucking think straight <clears throat> yeah when i fucking heard it earlier yeah, yeah yeah
1: but uh under the right conditions this entire phenomenon could produce what is called infrasound this terrifying occurrence causes a vibration in the air that humans cannot hear but continued studies show that these sounds are capable of causing an immense sense of dread and like loss of sleep along with shortness of breath uh, these effects are capable of affecting even the most seasoned of explorers. So basically they were driven mad by a sound temporarily because of these like tornadoes ripping all around them and causing um, just vibrations in their skull that they just could not bear. And it, yeah, it's, like a, it's like
2: a dog whistle for humans. It also could be That's, why there, there's
1: this yeah. fight evidence because maybe they just started fighting each other because they were pissed off about this sound they couldn't explain. And even if it doesn't affect everybody differently or the same – maybe a few of them heard this and freaked the fuck out and the rest of them were like "What? what is happening like yeah, they're yeah. running i'm gonna run like if i if we're yeah. camping in the middle of nowhere and i see you guys freak the fuck out about <laughs> and them, running? i'm yeah, gonna dude. be like i'm out like i'm not even gonna question it. boom that's, i'm gone
0: that's the crazy thing about sound dude we know that there's there are things like that exist regarding sound that affect certain things like um the first thing that comes to mind is like if you take a certain wavelength or a frequency and put it up against a glass like it could shatter the glass with just, yeah, sound. just sound um and then and the same thing goes no, for tell you what that
1: would do to us though like
0: yeah and we also know that um for instance like a lot of uh, the police they're using a lot of um sound waves to like disperse control. Protests oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, right, control. So, like, they use sound in order to kind of disperse the crowd. So we know that sound does have an effect on the human body. Um, also, more on the humorous side of things, there's something called the brown note. The brown note. <laughs> so <laughs> a, a certain frequency. We're like, actually going to you know, play that for you right now. <laughs> yeah. no, the brown note. Brown oh, note. I don't have the brown note, dude. <laughs> Every, oh, it's not dandy. there. I wanted, to, I
2: wanted all, our listener, all of our yeah, listeners to just... <laughs> Every morning about 9 o'clock, brown note comes in around <laughs> yeah the one guy listening to this is going to shit
1: themselves yeah <laughs> so yeah we so the, the theory
0: that sound had like a, a part to play in it that it seems plausible it, yeah it could I, happen. I like this
1: one a lot yeah it's, it's, it's interesting in- it's interesting it's there's a lot of science behind it and we don't 100 know what because that that area that entire scene could have just produced the most concentrated form of that sound that ever known to man it could have caused them to just kill each other or yeah you go know, fucking or, nuts or yeah or walk off into a place where they would die of, of uh, hypothermia like they, yeah. we don't know the effects of that it can't yeah. be duplicated in, in science you know what I mean yeah, so it's no it's a very specific terrain you know, yeah and those conditions at that exact moment the snow changes all the time so oh, yeah. I like this one a lot like I don't know if I subscribe to it but I, I like it like this mm-hmm. one's fun you me. didn't smash the like button I no oh, okay I didn't gotcha. like or subscribe either Uh, All right, so now we're going to talk about what Nat Geo claims is the answer to this mystery. Um, So an avalanche has long been thought as an explanation as to why these experienced tourists left their tents and their only source of shelter in such a rush that they would cut their way out. And while it does make sense, it doesn't explain how they sustained all of their injuries. Um, Even as recently as 2019, the Russian government has said that an avalanche had been the culprit all along. Uh, despite leaving out key scientific details from their report, including the fact that no evidence of an avalanche had been discovered when the site was found, like there, if you look at pictures of it, there's a, a you can see their the tent and you can see like uh, things that they had put in the snow around the tent. And if there was an avalanche, all that shit would have been dragged downhill, right? All was, the, yeah, buried and dragged. Buried, yeah. yeah. So it was it was some snow on the tent, but it was like snowfall, and there was. Um, like, the stakes and stuff, like their, their um, ski rods, whatever they're called, they, they were still yeah. there. So, if an avalanche had come, they they would have just swept all that away. And that there was no evidence of an avalanche. Mm-hmm. So, But, you know, if the Russian government is known for anything, it's definitely transparency. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but while not totally implausible, an avalanche doesn't make sense for several reasons, like I said. Um, usually when a person involved in, in an avalanche and they die, it's because... Um, they're covered in snow and eventually suffocate to death also there was no snowfall that would have affected the weight in the snow to shift and cause a slide to occur and also in that area um, avalanches were not recorded for something like 60 years they just didn't happen in that area it's just not a normal occurrence Um, and the injuries sustained were not typical of being hit by an avalanche Um, if the tourists themselves had caused it by digging into the embankment to set up their tent. Why was there a nine hour gap before the avalanche occurred? Uh, The the timelines just don't add up from what we know. Mm -hmm. So basically what Nat Geo is saying is that a tiny avalanche, meaning a shelf of about 16 feet slid down on top of the tent and may not have been noticed because by the time it was discovered, what, like three, four weeks later, Mm -hmm. like the first people, um, a fresh coat would have fallen and hidden any evidence of a shelf falling at all. It would have just kind of eaten it back out. Um, They arrived at this conclusion by teaming up with the team that made the snow in the 2013 hit Disney movie Frozen. Um, Together, they made what is described as super accurate models of how a 60-foot slab under the right circumstances could cause incredible amounts of bodily harm. To prove these claims, they also studied the effects of a massive weight hitting the tourists while they slept by looking at crash test dummy data done by GM in the 70s. So this is what they think could have happened. Um, It's speculated that the night in question, the hikers used their skis as a makeshift platform for their beds, creating a hard surface. And when the slab came down on them, it was like being trapped between a rock and a hard place and could easily break ribs and, and their skulls, causing severe, but not fatal injuries. They think that the tourists who were not immediately affected by the ambulance forced their way out and dragged the injured out to safety. And then they ran down a mile or so to the tree line to seek shelter, but instead had succumbed to hypothermia, which would explain the paradoxical undressing, and the ones left behind eventually died from their injuries. And the radiation found was caused by thorium, which was present in their lanterns, and the missing eyes and tongues were caused by scavenging animals. While this is a good
2: theory, it does not adequately explain everything to me. I don't like that theory, Nat Geo. I'm sorry, and I'm I'm sorry that they... uh invested in the, the team that created the movie frozen I'm sure that cost him a shit ton of money. Oh yeah. Was it let but, it snow? Yeah. So uh,
1: there you have it, dude. What was the compelling force quote unquote compelling force supernatural or possibly scientifically explained like with Wander avalanche, uh, the world may never know. I don't know. And that's why I love this story so damn much. I'm, It's just so interesting. Like, okay. So what do you guys think happened? Like, let's go with our final Aliens. thoughts. I'm going with the uh, the
2: nuke. You're going with, uh,
1: nuke? <laughs> I'm going I don't, with. I, the, I'm yeah. going with uh, maybe they were testing the explosives. And what I did find out um, that I did forgot to include in here was that the explosives they used were like um, airdrops, so they were on a parachute. So they when they would and they would explode above the ground, not on the ground. So they were like timed to explode a certain height. So what's to stop a fucking missile or bomb attached to a parachute in high winds making its way to where they were?
2: Mm-hmm. So oh, and that's how they tested a lot of n- and that's nukes why the topic. was that's why like, you know the nukes that were dropped over Hiroshima, yeah, Nagasaki were air timed. Yeah, they didn't explode on impact on the ground. It was over the air and created a downforce and so yep. it kind of explains a lot of this shit but yeah, again there should have been yeah. there would be some evidence on you know but, okay good call because explosive area uh, there's,
1: right? so the, the fact that they were found um, moved already moved yeah well, well there you they, go maybe the, the Russian um, military had found them way before the search party did and they had moved it and cleared any evidence before anyone even found their bodies like, maybe there was evidence of an explosion. They just covered it up, like, just put more snow or, like, even it out. We yeah. don't know what happened because things like this, the Russian government is not going to be transparent about any of it. Like, mm-hmm. there's no just no telling what happened. They probably know exactly. They probably know that they did it. And mm-hmm. they're just like, oh, Yeti. There was a
2: Yeti. I saw him. Yeah. Yeah. Brian, final yes. thoughts.
0: Final thoughts. Aliens.
2: Aliens. Okay, Aliens. I like it. Done. I'll right talk about final later. With or without butt probes, the probing's yes. Okay, thank you. <laughs> I will jot you down for <laughs> anal probes. I think and I, in accordance with uh, a bomb, we're, we're going, I like yeah. the bomb. Here. So, we're going bomb,
0: yeah. Uh, pingles um, going
2: uh, butt probe. So,
0: on a on a real on a real note, I think it could be a combination of different things.
2: Um, to me,
0: while the avalanche theory is definitely plausible, again, it's not going to explain everything, um, but I do think it it kind of triggers certain things to happen um so like you know the source of um you know let's say the avalanche like hitting you like for in- like will have you ever gotten hit in the face with a snowball Mm-hmm. Like, it hurts right now imagine getting hit by a snowball the size of a volkswagen like that shit's gonna fucking hurt dude like it's going to do some damage to the body yeah well i don't think everybody was affected that way i think maybe a few people were this started the panic i think that they cut the, out the tent that's when they're like okay fucking we got to get out of this as soon as possible but they realized they were walking in the middle of the dark so they have to stick together force like single footprints mm-hmm. um once they were clear of the danger the imminent danger then they're like okay maybe it's safe to go back now people are starting to head back to the tent people froze in the in the fucking slope of the mountain and meanwhile other people are trying to like you know the people that really got hurt Still walking around in the dark in the forest, fucking stumble off of a ravine into this like riv- like little stream and then like land on top of a rock, uh, bashing their head open and then they're just like trying to fix their wounds and then obviously succumb to their fatal injuries. So I just think that there's like a lot of different things that could have triggered from one thing. Um, the idea of like the infrasound I think is really interesting too because that's definitely. You know causing people to go mad is gonna make everybody panic even if it is only like two or three people so
2: yeah that was probably the most interesting yeah aspect. Was, I agree that aspect. was yeah that
1: was, and I, I'm sure if they're like if I could have time to deep dive into that I probably would have gone on for days about it but mm, yeah. uh, I got like I got the basics of it because I, I had to cover five more theories but yeah uh, that when I wanted to keep going like okay why did that happen what what you know what does that even look like you know
0: yeah yeah I mean it's it's crazy because like you know whether it obviously has a really huge part to do with this. They lost their their way to their initial, you know, campground. So um, you're
1: saying it was a perfect storm?
0: The perfect storm. Yeah, dude. Perfect storm, baby. So that just kind of triggers the uh, series of unfortunate events. Yeah. That's my take on it at least.
2: Yep. Hey, thanks Brian so, for
1: your thoughts. Thanks,
0: man. Yeah,
2: so you're welcome. that
1: was a uh, diet's love pass like I said this week has been a perfect time to do this because the United States is frozen over mm-hmm. and people are being lost up in the mountain right now. Um, hopefully yeah, that's can, hopefully they too. come back. Hopefully it's not you know the worst. I really hope that we find these hikers that are missing right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, we're, this is 62 years almost to the day when we're recording this. Um, yeah. So, and it's still highly debated and uh, yeah, know, people still dying. People yep. still going up there.
0: That's the crazy part. Yeah. Still going up there and disappearing. So um yeah thank you guys again for listening for uh, who stuck with us this is one of our longer episodes so we hope you guys enjoyed it if you made it past um, the hopefully um, you the, made
1: it past the wind the windstorm. <laughs> yeah. yeah you
0: guys didn't get lost on the way so you know we just wanted to put you in there so um octavio any last thoughts
1: yeah uh don't forget uh, email is bloodthirstypod at gmail.com i think if you type in bloodthirsty times into facebook
2: search bar you can find us um and that's it. That's all I got. Thanks for yeah, listening. So wherever uh, you, you find your podcast, I know we're on Spotify. Um, I think Google Podcasts as well. Google. Yeah, we're, on, we're on um, Anchor.
1: Anchor. We're on Apple. So we can find us everywhere you find go. podcasts. Um, Enjoy. Thanks for listening. Yeah, thanks for
0: listening, guys. You guys have a good one.
1: Bye.